the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Worldview Media Podcast, where Gordon and Joyce Runyon view popular media through the lens of the biblical five-point covenant model to help believers appreciate and apply principles of exciting narrative and engaging storytelling. Coming to you live from the cockpit of Zephram Cochran's warp ship, it's the Worldview Media Podcast. I'm your host, Gordon Runyon, and with me is Miss Joyce. They call her the big shooter. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. And this is the Worldview Media Podcast, the most frivolous podcast on the Reconstructionist Podcast Network. Ooh. Reconstructionist Radio I was Podcast thinking, That Network. didn't sound quite right. Right. Well, I'm off my game. Oh, no. And I think it's a chronic condition. <laughs> I won't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're here to talk about Star Trek Eight, Otherwise known as? Also called First Contact. First Contact. This is the one with the Borg. <laughs> the Borg, is it really First Contact? Mm. <laughs> what? Because <laughs> he's already been the locutus. Locutus. Well, it's not because they're. It's not. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm chronologically off. I see. Yes, you are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I read then. <laughs> it's not talking. It's not saying this is the first time they've contacted the Borg. It's talking about the day of the historic first contact. Oh, okay. You just now got that? I guess I did. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, you learn something new every day. <laughs> <laughs> Dropping information here on the Worldview Media Podcast. Dropping some knowledge. <laughs> <clears throat> no, I just say that for you. <laughs> All right, so what do you think of this movie overall? Well, for me, I really love the music in this. The soundtrack is oh, just so pretty, yeah. and the music is just fantastic. So so I love the music. Um, some of the characters are probably a little cheesy. The storyline's okay. You know, it's fun to kind of go back and look at where it all started with uh, oh, these hey. people we've heard about that's took to the stars for some kind of Star Trek. Oh, right. So that's kind of fun. And, of course, I think it's fun to look at your heroes as, like, just regular people. And so, you know, this Zephram guy is, like, really crazy, and he's not refined. He's very uncouth. And, you know, there's all this, oh, my gosh, it's him. He's the guy that started it all. And... You know, it freaks him out, and I just think that's kind of fun to see him as just a, a guy bumbling along trying to figure some things out. So so that's kind of funny. Right, so it's as if the Star Trek universe has written its own history, and then in this movie they go back and do a revisionist history. <laughs> <clears throat> I guess so. Whereas Ephraim Cochran becomes this uh, deeply flawed individual. He's really not. Well, you know, I think he probably was. Who is not deeply flawed? What 
What's our well, I mean, podcast he's... station? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's drunk all the time, and, mm. and he's not. He's not. Remind nice you to of people. anyone? <laughs> not anyone I know. I am never drunk. I drink in moderation. There you go. No. That was his error. He had no moderation. <laughs> but he was always drinking. Yes, very much. And he was, like you said, uncouth and uh, really uh, just didn't seem to be a really decent guy, really. Now, and having said all that, I think there is the possibility that this guy becomes more uh, mature and more uh, responsible and just he kind of steps into this position that maybe he wouldn't have otherwise if he hadn't taken a trip to the stars. <clears throat> so I'm not we'll saying see. there's not room for growth in that, but um, this this legend is just a guy that's kind of crazy, you know? Yeah. But see, you stumbled on a thing that is a recurring irritation for me in movies about <laughs> in movies about time travel. Yeah, because he obviously does mature and he becomes this leader of the people of Earth and, mm -hmm. and all. But does he do that though? Because the Star Trek people come back in time and and get oh, him the on conundrum. the right, right. Would he have done that naturally? Would he have? Yeah. yeah. So the hero mm -hmm. that the Star Trek people remember, they're the ones that went back and caused him to be that hero. Is that right? I, it looks to me like that's what happened there. I don't know. And you had another instance of this time travel uh, paradox thing where when the when the Enterprise is following the Borg ship, it's gone through the time vortex. vortex mm -hmm. And the Enterprise hasn't yet. And as soon as the Borg thing goes through, the Enterprise sees Earth is different now and it's all mm. Borg. Yeah. Now, wouldn't that mean that the Enterprise failed in its mission? I mean, it's already following the, the Borg ship back in time. It's already in the same time stream as the Borg ship is. Mm-hmm. And they see the planet as all Borg, which well, but I think that at that they... point they had the option: do we continue to follow this ship and see what happens, or do we just say, "Well, okay, it's all over, and here we are"? Because they saw that change had happened, and he said, "Keep following them." Right, I understand they had not yet gone back in time, but weren't they in the same? Like the little bubble that protected them from timeline changes and stuff. Weren't they already in that? Weren't they already headed chasing the Borg? And, I don't know. Well, I can live with it. You're okay with it? Yeah. Well, see, those paradoxes, they kind of... They spoil it for me a little bit. I think. I think you spoil it for you. I spoil it for me? <laughs> <laughs> it's just a movie. Now that being said, <laughs> that being said, I think this is uh, one of my top two, probably Star Trek movies franchise. Period. Yeah. And two is old Trek or new Trek. Uh, well, we don't know. 
I don't want to divulge that right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, the trek must go on, is what we know. But I like this one quite a bit. And part of what I like about it is the storyline where the Borg begin to take over the Enterprise. Yeah. And the uh, the combat, the war of attrition that takes place there as the Enterprise crew tries to hold them off. Yeah. I just think everything involved with that storyline is really cool. Now, there were some things that I thought were not good. There were things I didn't like about this story. And one of those things was practically everything that took place on the planet. <laughs> you know, all the chasing the chasing Zephram Cochran around and and having the scene with Deanna Troy being drunk. Mm. Uh, to me, that was all just filler and really didn't do anything to anything. And what I did notice then is the the elements of the story that I thought were needless mm -hmm. and often very corny and cheesy, they all involved Commander Riker. You know, he had, <laughs> in all the cheesy, corny scenes, yeah. he had a bunch of lines. Um. You know, he was a big... He, he was throughout. And who directed this movie? Is it the cheese corn? <laughs> it's the cheese corn himself. Right, this was directed by William Frakes, right? And so is it a coincidence then that in a subplot that really doesn't do anything one way or the other and is often corny and cheesy, mm -hmm. that he gets to then have a bunch of FaceTime on camera? And well, now unless he wrote the script, I think that's a little bit different. But just to direct. Oh, I'm the saying he got somebody. the script and he changed it so that he could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. And and I'm saying all this. This is <clears throat> like I say, one of my favorite Star Trek movies. But just the rewatch that we did, there were mm -hmm. certain places that I just cringed. Uh, bad acting, I thought, in a couple of places. <sighs> And one thing that I've learned just hearing people talk and listening to other podcasts about analyzing shows and stuff. Yeah. One thing that I've learned that I didn't realize is that it's really tough to act like you're drunk mm. and be convincing. Mm -hmm. You know, Foster Brooks was great. Do you remember that yeah. old comedian guy? Yeah. And he had it down. He made it look like it was supernatural, but... Apparently, that's very hard, and the actress playing Deanna Troy did a horrible job at it, I thought. The scene where she's drunk, mm -hmm. I just thought, here's a woman who has never been drunk before and is imagining <laughs> imagining what that might be like. Uh, I, I just cringed. I thought it was terrible acting mm. by her, but in a good movie. Well, all right, then. Do you have any other overall sorts of comments? Well, I think there there is a difference between the two storylines because, of course, everything back on the Enterprise is very... Uh, tense. Tense. And scary. And, you know, immediate things are happening, things are shifting. Uh, and then on the... On the planet you know nobody has any clue what's going on up there 
the gravity of the situation right. that they're in. And so I think that interplay between the two maybe is why the one seems more cheesy than the other. I don't know. Well, was there no possible way to connect them a little bit? Could you not have... How? Could you not have... Well, you're have... connected because the one that's supposed to be on the planet is up on the ship. The, what, the Borg? No, the girl, the woman. No, I'm saying, could, could you not have Borg on the planet's surface? And No. And still trying to no, I don't think come after can. the Phoenix and destroy it or something? No. They took their one shot at destroying the warp ship, and after that they left Well, because they were destroyed. And so the immediate thing was to transfer over to the Enterprise. Why, why are they going to transfer over Well, to they the have planet? to destroy this. They have to destroy the warp ship to do what they want to do, right? That's what I thought. And it just didn't seem like... Were they just, they're patient and they can wait until they've taken over the Enterprise and then they can... Well, that would make it a lot easier. Because even if they go to the planet, they still have to deal with the Enterprise. Somehow that has to be dealt with. Yeah, but I just think it might have been a little bit more exciting if you had had like a handful of Borg on the planet. Well, that'd be a real uneven fight for technology-wise and weapons and what Well, that's what makes it scary. Now you've got these Borg on the planet. Or have the board destroy the Vulcan ship? That would have been funny too. Or <laughs> that would have been funny. Yeah. <laughs> now he's being cheesy. All right. Well, all that to say, I really did like the movie. There were just some places that I was like, yeah. Yeah. Well, there were some places where I was like, eh, now really, is this really? Then you just have to say, well, it doesn't really matter, really. <laughs> <laughs> right. And some of the things that they're doing for comedic relief struck me as them saying, okay, we need some comedic relief here. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And then just trying to kind of manufacture it out of nothing. And, and sometimes the whole Star Trek franchise strikes me as presuming that Star Trek fans are going to laugh at whatever we give them to laugh at just because Mm. they love the characters so much and we don't really need to do anything funny. We just need to act like that's what we're doing is something funny and then that'll pass. But that's been like a tradition in the movies, in the Star Trek movies from the beginning. Mm. All right. All right. Anything else? (sighs) All right, well, let's take our break and we'll come back and finish her off. Are you interested in Christian education? Would you like to learn how to be a Christian teacher or how to run your very own Christian school with success? The GCS Apprenticeship Program can help. Learn more on our website at gcsapprenticeship.com. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce 
including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom. And we're back, Worldview Media Podcast, talking about Star Trek First Contact, the eighth <laughs> in the series of Star Trek movies. Mm. And this is the first one that is just the next generation. That's right. All right. So let's talk about themes, worldview issues. Did anything strike you? I'll let you go first if you have something. Well, it seems like there's uh, something going on with with justice. Justice? Yeah. Okay, you're going to have to explain that. Well, you know, Picard and the Borg on his ship, and that this is wrong, and they've done things wrong, and they, you know, kill entire civilizations. The line must be drawn yeah. here. You know, that, you know, somebody has to take care of this. Right. And so he has to be that somebody. So there is some revenge in that, and there's some justice in that, you know, that this is... This is a just thing that we're doing here, and so we will do it even if it, even if we wind up dying doing this. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely it. I was going to... I hadn't thought of it in terms of justice. I was thinking revenge. You know, his whole uh, realizing that he was kind of acting parallel to, to Ahab and Moby Dip. Moby Dick. <laughs> Moby Dip. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> <laughs> in milk chocolate. <laughs> That's a Dairy Queen thing, right? Moby Dip. <laughs> sure, sure. So that's kind of what it seemed to me. He understood at some point that his quest for revenge was going to wind up destroying everything. Mm-hmm. And, and not really helping anything at all. And we've kind of, it wasn't long ago we were talking about revenge and how there are places where revenge can kind of coincide with justice and longing for justice. Mm-hmm. That's true. There are places where it coincides. But generally the reason the Bible tells us to abstain from seeking our own revenge is because we trust that God is going to put all things right. Yeah. And of course in the Star Trek universe... If anybody's going to do it, it's got to be you, because yeah. there's no other. Well, there's nothing that is sovereign in that whole That's universe. Right. You know, it's just except all... for Q, and he's something, but he's not in any of the movies. <laughs> not yet. Let's hope <laughs> he'd be too old to be in the movie well, now. Let's hope he makes no appearance. <clears throat> so, but justice then leads into sovereignty issues because if no one is sovereign if no one is going to right these wrongs if no one's keeping track of all of the you know of everything that's happened then well yeah you got to take care of it (laughs) well and in that case then revenge is all there is yeah because justice is arbitrary in that case anyway well then revenge is also yeah there were some 
there were some concepts that were present in the movie that that uh, were interesting, if extremely naive, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, the one place where Captain Picard tells the woman from the 21st century that, uh, well, the economics in our day are a bit a bit different. There's no such thing as money and... Yeah. Nobody works for an income, and we work to better ourselves than than the rest of society or whatever. Yeah. How's that work? I mean, that's that has been tried before, <laughs> and never with success. <laughs> no. Mm. So I don't. I don't like to continue that conversation. <laughs> what does that look like, really? Yeah. Yeah, it, it stuns me. People who get upset at capitalism and and what they believe is inherent greed in capitalism. What's your alternative? You know, what's the guiding principle that's going to make your economy work? And and I think you're left with nothing other than what Picard was talking about. Just this kind of pie in the sky yeah. belief that if you just if you just give humans the right situations, they'll just do good naturally and and they'll just help each other just to help each other. Yeah, and, because they can. And self-improvement is is good. And, uh, which, is that just a different form of greed? Self-improvement? I'm working to better myself. Well, well any I capitalist think, can say that. I'm working. Any time you remove God from the equation... From capitalism, it winds up being with greed. And with socialism, you remove God out of that. It's still a thing of greed. You know, anytime God's not in that picture, because he's what gives you that balance to know this is good and that is wrong and this is sin. And so this is how I stay out of those things. Right. You know, any system that's closed without God is not going to work. Right. It's not right. going to work for very long, and it's not going to be of any benefit to anyone. Right. And, of course, we always like to point out that the founding, the bottom-line motivation of capitalism is not greed, like it's always accused of being. Mm-hmm. That's a perversion of a capitalist system. The The founding underlying motivation is rational self-interest. You know, you you want to provide for your family, and so you do these things to earn an income, or you yeah. want to feed yourself, and so you... Well, but I think there's also elements of being a good steward, and what does that mean to be a good steward? You just put everything in a barn and hold on to it, because now you've <laughs> right. got everything in a barn? <laughs> right. You know, it's it's taking care of the things around you. Yeah. And, and doing everything yeah. that you're doing for God, not for yourself. Sure. Okay, so I did notice that little conversation, and it probably it took less than 30 seconds, but it's the sort of thing that sticks with me when I watch a thing. And So the whole rest of the movie, I'm just thinking, what? how do they even imagine this? <laughs> what are they, crazy? <laughs> well, and then related to that, there's the whole Star Trek universe their fictional history of how Earth fixed itself and how humans fixed themselves and got to be better. And, and their their mythos is that one day the Vulcans show up mm. 
and the resulting knowledge on the part of humans living in the world that, oh, we're not alone. There's something beyond us. That this then transforms everything. And what they said in this movie is that after the Vulcans show up, then uh, Deanna Troy says poverty, disease, war, they're all gone within 50 years of the Vulcans showing up. Yeah. And it's all based on this realization among the humans that there's something more than just us. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, an element of pie in the sky yeah. sort of stuff, isn't it? I mean, because... Yeah, I, you know, when they, when they were saying, oh, the Vulcans, you know, I thought of the another uh, Star Trek series, which is Enterprise, and the Vulcans were the bane of their existence <laughs> because they were always having were their hard thumbing, to work with, you know, and, had yeah. their thumb on their neck, and no, you'll do this when we say you can, and now is not the right. time, and, you know, so... Uh, and the whole thing being alone in the universe, you're not, you know, that's the whole thing with God is this isn't a a vacuum with nothing in it that, you know, it's just spinning out of time. And, um, you know, if you feel alone, it's because you want to be alone (laughs) (laughs) right? and you're trying to suppress anyone around you. (laughs) Repression. (laughs) Right. Well, Christians... Christians actually believe that an extraterrestrial being showed up on earth and walked around for a generation and they nailed him to a cross. Now it did unite the earth, but it was united against him and in wickedness and evil. And uh, so this idea that if aliens showed up, that would fundamentally make people better. Yeah. And that we would just love each other more and, eliminate all the differences that cause wars now. Yeah. How naive can you be? It's pretty crazy. And it did remind me that I've seen another... It's been years and years, and I can't remember what it was exactly, but I know Jonathan Frakes was in it, and it Mm -hmm. was a documentary. And I think it was about whether or not there was an actual alien being held at Area 51 in Roswell. Mm. the evidence for and against yeah. and I bet Jordan and Reagan would know <laughs> <laughs> they might but the that theme was in there he preached that in that document in that documentary mm. you know this whole idea hey if they do have an alien that means we're not alone and maybe we should treat each yeah. other better. And and so he really buys into that Star Trek well, I don't mythology. Know. I don't know. Well, I'm not saying he buys into the alien, but he buys into the concept that if aliens did visit us, that would be the impetus for us to suddenly become better people or something. Well, and that's, that's really unfortunate. Because if we can't treat people that are like us with the same dignity and respect that we would want. Why would we treat someone who is not like us in that way? You know, and you look at the abortion issue or euthanasia with elderly people or, you know, they are like us. And we say, oh, well, we would. The victims are like us, yeah. Well, you know, if I was really old, I wouldn't want to be around. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. Or if I'm just so young and nobody, I don't know anything and I'm so small, nobody can see me, then I can do whatever I want right, with these right. people because, right. yeah. Well, yeah, and it's like when you think about the excuses that are used in the abortion thing, like, you know, I've got a right to do whatever I want with my body. or Absolutely. Uh, but that's not your body that you're well, mutilating I understand and that. destroying. I'm just saying people who are willing to use dumb excuses like that, I'm not sure how an alien landing on the earth yeah. would change that way of thinking or yeah or is it supposed to change the abolitionist way of thinking somehow suddenly that's not murder and we shouldn't worry about it or yeah uh so on any real life issue that we debate mm-hmm. and that we fight over how would a vulcan showing up on earth change the morality of those things and I just don't think people have thought these things through. Well, I don't think it would change anything. It would give people something united to be against other than each other. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's got to be it, doesn't it? I feel like maybe this is just me being sentimental, but I remember in the the immediate aftermath of the original 9-11, right after the towers had fallen, Mm Mm-hmm. I think in my job and dealing with people and stuff like that, I think that I did notice people being friendlier to each other and to me specifically out on my route and stuff. That lasted about a week. Mm -hmm. But I almost felt like that was something real and I wasn't imagining it. Mm -hmm. That people that I didn't know were just... I was kind of impressed with how friendly everybody was for a few days at least. And I think that's the theory that some folks are going with. That if you have a big enough event that has enough magnitude about it that it would make us kind of permanently treat each other better or something like that. That must be the hope anyway that they're operating with. I don't know. But I'm, you know, call me a glass half empty guy. (laughs) You? I thought that was me. (laughs) But when God stepped out of heaven and stepped on earth to prove, for the express purpose of proving beyond a shadow of a doubt, that we here on the earth are not alone. Mm -hmm. And there are beings higher and above us. uh, That didn't unite the earth. You know, Christ himself said he came to bring a sword and divide yeah. people, and, and that's what he wound up doing, his ministry, you know, at least for a little while. I look forward to a day when we'll have a united earth through the gospel. Yeah. But uh, uh, 50 years to eliminate poverty, disease, and war because Vulcan shows up. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't think it'd be because the Vulcan shows up, but because, you know, Jesus steps in and changes your life, and suddenly I don't need all this stuff, and I can help somebody else. Well, you know, yeah, definitely we can have no, yeah. no poverty and no uh I think we're headed there. And, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. there's no reason why any person on this planet shouldn't have food right. and water yeah, and yeah. some place to sleep. Sure. You know, there's yeah. just absolutely no reason. And we are headed there. So you kind of then point out that 
Star Trek is positing, positing a pseudo-millennium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe or a so. secular millennium or yeah, something like that. Yeah, but it's based on things that aren't real. Oh, well, absolutely. You know, that aren't absolutely really not. plausible. Yeah, yeah. They aren't. Sure. But, you know, a lot of things have come to pass from that universe with, you know, the communicators. <laughs> I'm still rooting for the transporter myself. Oh, man. Yeah. I, w- I could absolutely deal with that. <laughs> I would you take know, the I chance. About that. This is a rabbit trail, but I've thought about that. What if you had a transporter and you had that technology? And then... Uh, and then let's say a small town like ours had like one transporter that you could go to and put in your token or whatever and you could transport. Yeah. Would there be a traffic jam on the way to the transporter machine? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like if you're in Los uh, Angeles and you you put 20 transporter stations around. Yeah. And that lets people go to those transporters and then go work anywhere in the world. Yeah. You know. Would yeah. there be? Would that eliminate <laughs> traffic jams or just redirect them? Uh, so now there's a jam. Well, I'm sure it's going to be redirecting that stuff. But even just to operate would be worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it would be pretty cool to get to, you know, just take off to Italy for some Italian food sometime and yeah. And come back the same day. I'm not even thinking like out of the country type travel. I'm just like, if I could go see the girls and bring them back or just have them come home. Let me go right. get them at all. But Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> that's uh that's a good thing. And I related to that. The uh what do they call it when they make the food? The what's that machine? You know, when Picard <laughs> orders his... Uh, the Earl Grey hot? Earl Grey. What is uh, that? Man, it's just flown out of my head what that machine is. I should know what that is. Maybe it'll come to us before. But that would be a related technology where they're taking... I think in Star Trek Enterprise, the series, they said that that's what, what they do with their garbage. Is yeah, that they, they just re They use that mass and yeah. change it into something else. Replicators. The replicators. Yes. That's it. Yeah, so those are the two Star Trek inventions I'm really rooting for. Oh, and the holodeck. Holodeck. Yeah, we have some of the holodeck. We're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah, that'd be all right. So that's that's something frivolous, but fun. (laughs) No, you could actually do some training and stuff with that for for a lot of different things, like medical training. Mm. You could have holodeck patients and... I mean, the possibilities are pretty endless with that. So I'm rooting. Somebody build these things. Somebody do it. (laughs) All right. Anything else on Star Trek VIII? Uh, hmm. Oh, right at the the end, uh, Captain Picard does offer to sacrifice himself for Data's freedom. Yeah. And we have talked about self-sacrifice mm-hmm. in Heroes quite a bit. And and there it was. And at first when I saw that, I was thinking, so he's offering to be a Borg forever for the sake of Data. Mm-hmm. Which is really incredible. It'd be better to die, probably. You yeah. know? And, uh, but then 
at the time when he made that offer, he thought he was going to die, along with all the other board, because yeah. the ship was about to explode and all that. So he th- he was hoping they'd make the trade. You mean they hadn't then, stopped the... No. Uh, when he offered to make the trade, they hadn't stopped it yet. Because they were about... In fact, they he thought the trade was underway, and he told Data to leave, and that's when Data says, No, I'm staying. Yeah. You're just going to be plan. a drone. Yeah. Data. He was something. He was <laughs> he was tempted for zero point six eight seconds. It was a lifetime. That's interesting to me. I, I'm not sure how much we can talk about it, but it's interesting to me. Uh, I guess that a real artificial intelligence would have to actually, well, you'd have to be able to make decisions and assign moral values Mm -hmm. to one thing versus another and Mm. and yeah I'll get in my whole spiel about artificial (laughs) intelligence and why I'm not even I don't really think it's possible Uh, but we'll save that for for some other yeah you know when we should have done it was for that DSX yeah yeah yeah, that's what I was thinking. But they didn't have any problems with doing whatever. There was no delay. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that's why I didn't talk about they it. They <laughs> handled temptation poorly as well. They just yeah. dived right in. Not like other people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you got anything else, Mom? Uh, I don't think so. Until next week for the next... Star Trek Nine. Nine. Insurrection. Uh, now that is something. Well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. All right, then. Is that one of your favorites? Um, You know... I have to see it again. And I'll let you know. All right. I think one of my favorites is actually from... The series Next Generation that I think of as a movie, but it must not be a movie because... You never see it. Yeah. Okay. So it must be like a two-part deal where it was like the season finale and uh, one or okay. something. So, yeah. I was like, well, where's this one? And it's not a movie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very good. Well, I think we're done here on the Worldview Media Podcast. Hopefully... uh uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Hopefully, uh, <laughs> the words that are coming into my mind I don't want to use. Hopefully, we are uh, priming the pump, so to speak, of creative juices and uh, getting people to think about. It doesn't take much. You know, that's the one thing that I kind of wanted to point out about this show. A couple of things that Picard had to say mm-hmm. about what their society was like. And a minute talking about the history of Earth after the after the Vulcans. Mm-hmm. So it preaches a worldview yeah. in just a few lines of dialogue. The rest can be this action movie where it's like uh, part robot zombies taking over everything, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, that's really what they are. They're part robot zombies. And and it can be really exciting and action-packed. But just those few little lines peppered in. Mm-hmm. And suddenly the thing is preaching a worldview. Suddenly. 
Yeah. Always something is. Always, always something is being preached, for sure. Okay, go out and do it, y'all. We'll see you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Worldview Media Podcast. Please visit reconstructionistradio.com to check out the other podcasts in our network and to download our free audiobooks.